Let's open up in prayer. Father in heaven, we ask for your mercy and blessing as we approach your word. We, we know that only by the power of your Holy Spirit can we actually understand and grasp the things that are in your word and apply them to our lives accurately and, and teach them faithfully. We ask for your blessing in these things in Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> well, I'm going to begin with the same verse that Randy did <clears throat> because last week we talked about how Jesus had prepared his disciples for his departure. And we read this verse, but only as he was letting them know, I'm leaving, this is what's about to happen. Well, through chapters 14, 15, and 16, Jesus over and over talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and what they should expect, uh, the ways that they could know whether it was the Holy Spirit speaking or some other spirit, <clears throat> and so forth. So the verse that Randy read this morning, John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, he says, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. The word there is paraclete. It means one called alongside to help. Could also be translated advocate, that's fine. <clears throat> that he may abide with you forever. He'll be with you forever. That's where he's going to be. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and he shall be in you. Now, up until Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was not given. Uh, in the Old Testament, we saw different prophets that the Holy Spirit was upon. It says the Spirit came upon Samson, and he did this, and Peter's Spirit came upon so-and-so, and he said that. Uh, there's a few of them, da uh, excuse me, Daniel and Joseph, the patriarch Joseph, uh, of whom somebody said that the Spirit of God is in him, but... God doesn't say it was in them. He doesn't say it wasn't either, he, that he, he wasn't in them. It, it was a rare thing for the Holy Spirit to indwell a person, and it was never permanent. <clears throat> in David's case, in, in Psalm 51, verse 11, he was begging God not to take the Holy Spirit from him because of his sin. We don't have to worry about him taking the Spirit from us. Jesus promised he's going to be with us forever, and he's going to be in us forever. Uh, but in those days, yeah, that was, first place, it was a rare privilege that anybody had the Holy Spirit. And second place, it wasn't permanent. <clears throat> There's three things we can learn from this passage. One is that the Holy Spirit is the comforter who takes the place of Jesus as our comforter, our protector, and guide. Number two is that the Holy Spirit will remain with us forever. There's no qualifiers here. He doesn't say until you fall into sin, that's just too gross, so I'm not going to stay with you anymore. There's nothing like that. There are no ifs, ands, or buts. If you've received Jesus as your Savior, if you've placed your trust in his finished work at the cross, and his blood at the cross, then he's going to be in you forever. He's not going to let you go. <clears throat> and the third thing is that the Holy Spirit is with us regardless, but ever since Acts chapter 2, all believers, he's in the believers. In uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 7, I think it says, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you're, you're not saved. It, all believers have the Holy Spirit. This isn't a second blessing thing that you go back and pray some more to, to get. By the way, those 
ten virgins with their bottles of oil. That was not the Holy Spirit. Think about it. They're sending them to go to those who sell the Holy Spirit and get a refill on the Holy Spirit? No. No. Don't, don't get mixed up on these things. The Holy Spirit is a person. <clears throat> There's some other things we need to know about him. The Holy Spirit is God. We see that in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, where Peter accused Ananias of lying to God. And then, actually, first he said, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And then he clarified and said, you've lied to God. The Holy Spirit is God. He's the third member of the Godhead. <clears throat> He's a person. Specifically, he's the third person of the Godhead. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, we see regarding Jesus, it says, In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That when Jesus was on earth, the Holy Spirit and the Father were living in him. That we have the Trinity right there walking amongst us. How's that for a mind-boggling idea? And yet, <clears throat> what we find, and we're going to find here in the next few verses is that as the Holy Spirit indwells you, Jesus and the Father are indwelling you in the person of the Holy Spirit, that you have the Trinity living in you. There's even more mind-boggling. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit's not a feeling. You, feeling doesn't have any authority. It can't speak as God and send God's servants on a mission. In Acts chapter 13, we see that the Holy Spirit spoke to the elders there at Antioch and told him to separate Peter and Barn excuse me Paul and Barnabas for a mission that he had for them and they they were sent out by the holy spirit that's not a feeling that's god speaking by the way feelings don't speak we speak because of feelings but feelings don't speak so the holy spirit spoke to this group of men i don't know if it was an audible voice or they all just heard it in their spirit at the same time but all of them knew that they were to send Paul and Barnabas on this mission. They went all over the Mediterranean area, planting churches everywhere they went. <clears throat> He's not a force. In uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, we're told to grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, wherewith you are sealed unto the day of redemption, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. A force might be able to seal us, but a force can't be grieved. That's impersonal. He's a person. He can be grieved. You, we can grieve the Holy Spirit by our hardness of heart. <clears throat> and Ephesians chapter 4, the last four verses are a warning against that. In the Old Testament, as we said, nobody was permanently indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Also, the Old Testament saints were frequently said to have the Spirit come upon them. It was a fairly rare thing for them to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit. That didn't start until Acts chapter 2. In, in John chapter 7, Jesus said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me, and I will give him uh, the water of life, and it will spring up in him as a well unto eternal life. And then it says after that, This spake he of the Holy Spirit, which was not yet given. So the, the Holy Spirit was not given until Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> Let's read on in chapter 14 here. John chapter 14, starting at verse 18. He says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Verse 19. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but you see me. Because I live, you shall live also. 
At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. <clears throat> so we can learn some more things there. For one thing, we saw that in spite of the fact that he just said in chapter 14, verse 16, that he was leaving and that he was sending the Holy Spirit in his place, here he says, I will come to you, verse 18. And later on, we're going to see that, that he and the Father were going to make their abode with us. And uh, in verse 19, he says, he is in the Father and that we are in him. Now, we know from previous teaching that that's the position of the believer. If you place your trust in Jesus as your Savior, then the Holy Spirit has placed you into the body of Christ. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, he says that we've been all been baptized by one Spirit into the body of Christ. That's the Holy Spirit placing you into the body of Christ permanently. That's your position in him. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse uh, 20. Two, it says that, that those in Adam all died. Those in Christ all will be made alive. <clears throat> that those are the two possible positions for any human who's alive today. You're either in Adam still and unsaved, or you're in Christ and you're permanently one of his children. He says that he is in the Father, that we are in him, <clears throat> and that he is in us. So in the, whole, in the person of the Holy Spirit, we also are indwelt by Jesus Christ himself. <clears throat> John 14, 23 says that he and the Father would come and make their abode with the believers. So as the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit fully includes the entire Godhead, just as we read about Jesus in Colossians 2, 9, where he says that in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. <clears throat> And finally, in John chapter 14, verse 28, if you want to skip forward to verse 28, he says, You've heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you uh, Is that the verse I wanted? Yes, it is. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. I see, we, we can easily get mixed up and think that, no, it's all the same person just manifesting themselves in three different ways. No, Jesus said the Father is greater than he is. And yet, we have to keep in mind that Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, what we, which we quote at Christmas all the time, where it says, a, a child, unto us a child is given, unto us a, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That Jesus, the Son of God, is to be called the Everlasting Father. Now, right there, I give up. I, I, I do not understand the Trinity. I have to teach it because that's what God says. I do not have to understand it. If that bothers you, think about the fact that you don't understand how your cell phone works but you use it all the time by faith. You push buttons and put it to your ear expecting that so-and-so is going to answer you. I've had people call me that I've never seen before, and they call me by name as soon as, they, as soon as I pick up the phone because they were believing that that number 
if they push those numbers on their cell phone, it would reach me. And it's confusing to me because I think, do I know this guy? No, I don't. They just found my name on the internet and they want to talk to me about violins. Cool, but you know, what was your name again? See, we deal with that kind of stuff all the time and it doesn't bother us. But when we come to something in scripture that we don't understand, we balk and say, well, that doesn't make sense. I don't understand that. Well, tough. What, what is it that makes you think that you ought to understand everything about God? If you could understand everything about God, he wouldn't be God. You would be. He's infinite. You're not. So no, I don't understand the Trinity. <clears throat> it's critically important that as a teacher, I teach what the scripture actually says and not try to just make it palatable by filtering out the hard things. I have to be faithful to teach the whole word of God even when it says things that are hard to understand. <clears throat> so let's skip forward to John chapter 15. In John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit. And much of the middle of chapter 15 is talking about his relationship with them. We're going to dip back into that briefly. But in verses 26 and 27, he goes back to talking about the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, chapter 15, verse 26, it says, But when the Comforter has come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. He's going to bear witness to me. And you also shall bear witness, because you've been with me from the beginning. <clears throat> See, something was going to change. He'd already told the, the disciples, you're going to be scattered, and they were, and you're going to flee, and they did. <clears throat> Not yet, but when he was arrested, they all took off. Uh, he told Peter before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times, which I'm sure was really hard for Peter to hear, because I'm sure he thought, no, I won't. I wouldn't do that. Yeah, but he did. See, Jesus knows. He had already told them they were going to flee, that they weren't going to testify for him. And now he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to testify of me, and you are going to testify of me. <clears throat> he says, you also shall bear witness, because you've been with me from the beginning. In Acts chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, this is after the resurrection. He's right before the ascension. He's getting ready to leave. He told them the same thing right before he physically ascended back into heaven. He said, but you shall receive power. The, the Greek word there is dunamis. It's the word for strength or ability. It's not the word exousia, which means authority. When Jesus said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth, go ye therefore and preach the gospel to every nation. The word there was exousia, his authority. All authority in heaven and earth was given to him. We saw that when he spoke and stilled the storm. We saw that when he spoke and healed the, the sick and healed leprosy and cast out demons and so forth. That's a different kind of power. That's authority. This is to give us the strength and ability to do what he wants us to do. <clears throat> but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. By the way, that command goes on to us too but prior to this I mean just days before this they were hiding in the upper up, 
upper room for fear that they were going to be executed next. And now he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to be fearless witnesses for me all over the world, starting right here in, Jude, in Jerusalem. <clears throat> so we're called to speak and we're called to do as he does. The Holy Spirit speaks of Jesus. That's one of his character traits. He glorifies Jesus in word and in deed. And as he indwells us, he calls us to do the same. See, we have a problem, though. We still have our old sin nature, and we've got a lifetime experience of following our old slavery to sin and doing what we want to do. Uh, we don't always do what God wants us to do. I don't always do what God wants us to do. Uh, and, you know, because of that, we have fits of anger and depression and every kind of sin under the, under the sun. Uh, because we go back and serve our old sin nature. <clears throat> Jesus didn't have that problem, but the disciples did. Paul specifically points out the struggle that he had with his old sin nature in Romans chapter 7 and concluded that his old sin nature was no longer him, that he'd been separated from his old sin nature to the extent that God only sees his new nature as him. He says... So it is not I, but sin that dwells within me that's doing these things. He's talking about his old sin nature, that the new nature is holy and righteous like God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24 says that put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's what God says about your, whole, your, your new nature. It's created in the image of God and righteousness and true holiness. <clears throat> but we're still struggling with our old sin nature. So in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, he talks about the Holy Spirit again. Paul says, walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You won't be doing what your old sin nature wants to do if you're walking in the Spirit. If you're doing what the old sin nature wants you to do, you're not walking in the Spirit. That's pretty simple. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus told his disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing. And it was simply the truth. He wasn't exaggerating. He wasn't exalting himself. He was simply saying, I'm sending you to do something that is impossible for you to do on your own. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And what we see is that apart from the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we cannot accomplish anything of eternal value. <clears throat> All right, if you turn with me now forward to John chapter 16, starting in verse 7. We'll read verses 7 through 11. <clears throat> he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you, it's a good thing for you, that I'm going away, because if I didn't go away, if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. <clears throat> Jesus reminded them that it was necessary for him to end his earthly ministry. 
They'd been with him for three and a half years. They loved being around him. They had walked together, talked together, ate. They slept in the same places. They he, they heard all of his teaching. They heard all of his his comments. They watched him cast out demons. He empowered them so that they cast out demons. They knew him <clears throat> face to face. And yet he was going to go away. And he says, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Unless Jesus left, the Holy Spirit would not be free to indwell all the believers individually. While Jesus was in his earthly ministry, he chose to bind himself to the same physical rules that we live by. He could only be in one place at a time. He couldn't indwell all the believers and still be him in his flesh. But if he left, then through the Holy Spirit, he could literally indwell every single believer. He's free to live in every single believer in the person of the Holy Spirit. He's free to act through each of us and speak through each of us to glorify the Father through the church. So now that the Holy Spirit has come, he has two separate spheres of influence. We read about what he's doing in the world. It says that he rebukes them. He's... he's, uh, convicting them of sin and righteousness and of judgment. And what he does for us <clears throat> is that he teaches and guides and protects us. But his service toward the world is completely different. It says he reproves the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. By the Holy Spirit, especially as witness in his people, the world sees sin for what it really is. And they can recognize that, okay, this is not good. And... and what they're going to do about it, well, that's up to them. They're either going to repent or they're not. Uh, there's people that look at themselves and say, this is wickedness, I need, I need help, and turn to Jesus for their, for their salvation. <clears throat> there's others that reject that, and they cling to their wickedness. But they know sin, and by the same means they know righteousness and judgment. They know that the judgment of God is coming. <clears throat> The same chapter, verses 13 through 15, Jesus says, Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All the things that the Father has are mine, therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. The rest of the work that the Holy Spirit does is in teaching the believers. Jesus said that the Spirit would guide us into all truth. He doesn't speak independently from the written word. I've known people that say, well, the Holy Spirit told me to do this, when it's something that's completely in conflict with God's word. It wasn't the Holy Spirit speaking to you, sorry. You know, I hate to argue when somebody says something like that, but the Holy Spirit never leads apart from God's Word. I don't mean that he never leads apart from you having read it right then. I mean he never leads contrary to God's Word. Uh, I remember as a brand new believer, and I didn't know very much of God's Word, I, had a, I was working on a tuna boat, and the skipper was reading a book about Edgar Cayce, a blatantly ungodly, evil false prophet and he asked me suddenly he just suddenly looked up from the book and asked me 
did Jesus believe in reincarnation? And I said, no. And he gets this triumphant look on his face. He says, then why did he say that John the Baptist was Elijah? And I was praying real fast because I didn't know what to say. I didn't know the word very well. Uh, I looked out the porthole. We were sitting at a dock in Canada and uh, praying. And all of a sudden, uh, the answer came to me. I almost started laughing because it was such a wonderful answer. And I turned back to him and I said, to be reincarnated, you have to die and come back in a different body, right? And he says, right. I said, Elijah never died. I don't know why I knew that. I remembered that from Scripture, though, that Elijah was caught up into heaven without dying, and he never died. So it can't be reincarnation, whatever it is. I didn't have to explain what Jesus meant. I wouldn't have been able to. But I could tell him it wasn't reincarnation because Elijah didn't die. He shut his mouth, and he went back to reading his book. He never said a word. I, you know, Now, that was the Holy Spirit leading, but he led through the Word. He gave me what the Word said to answer. I had read it, but I'd, I wouldn't have known any theological answer beyond that. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit never leads apart from the Word. He guides us so that we can see what's ahead. He receives all that Jesus is and says and does, and he delivers it to us at a level that we can understand it or at least put it into practice. I don't have to be able to understand everything about Jesus to be able to live like him and do what he says to do. This is not a head game. <clears throat> He's the one, the Holy Spirit is the one who administers the gifts of the Spirit, and he empowers the teachers and the leaders that he's given. The Holy Spirit is the one who fills the whole body of Christ and makes it functional as a whole rather than just being a cluttered pile of disconnected parts. We're the body of Christ as a church. I don't mean just this, this assembly. I mean the church at large across the, the globe. We're the body of Christ, and he functions to make us function as a whole. That's why the church in Kenya felt free to contact us and ask if we could get them some Bibles. They didn't ask for money. They have since then. I told them we don't have money to give, but we're going to keep giving you Bibles. Uh, but, you know, the Holy Spirit saw a need there where we got 79 adult believers in a church that meets under the trees in a village in Africa and, done, and nobody had any Bibles uh, to a little church here that we were able to get them some Bibles. Okay, that's the Spirit works to, to bring the church together, the real church worldwide. <clears throat> and you want to notice, too, that if the Holy Spirit is the one who's functioning, then the result will be that the actions and the words will glorify Jesus. It doesn't glorify the human who's involved. It doesn't glorify me. It doesn't glorify you if you're the one acting. It doesn't even glorify the Holy Spirit. It glorifies Jesus. That's what he does. He says he will speak of me. He says he shall glorify me there in verse 14. <clears throat> John 16, 14. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He works to glorify Jesus. He does not speak of himself, but of Jesus. <clears throat> now this parallels the story that we read in Genesis chapter 24 where Abraham sent his servant to find a bride for Isaac. You want to remember that when the servant got there, he told about the son, and he showed the riches of the son, and he gave gifts to the family of Rebekah and some small gifts to Rebekah herself. But he told about the son. And when Rebekah agreed to go, 
The bride price had been paid to the family, and Rebecca agreed to go. Then she departed, went on this, I, want, I almost said wagon train, it was a camel caravan, uh, across this howling desert to where she was going to meet Isaac. And the, the servant kept telling her about Isaac until they got to the place that she could see him. And she got down off that camel, and it says that the, the servant made his report to the son, not to the father. The father sent him, but when he came back, he reported to the son. Okay, this is a real good picture of what the Holy Spirit's doing in the world today. He's the one that drew you into the body of Christ, that wooed your spirit through the word and through other people and through prayer to, to where you were willing to receive him as your Savior. And now he's going to spend the rest of your life telling you about Jesus until you see him face to face. He's not going to lose you. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's going to glorify Jesus in and through you and to you until we see him face to face. <clears throat> now in the rest of the New Testament, in the epistles, we talk about the ministry of the Spirit. In the, re in the rest of the New Testament, we see details of the changes that Jesus promised. We see the gifts of the Spirit laid out in several places, actually, but primarily 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, we see the unity of the Spirit in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. <clears throat> we see the fruit, singular fruit, of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. We often make the mistake of thinking of it as fruits of the Spirit because it lists nine aspects of that fruit. But read it carefully. It says fruit, not fruits. And it says, which is these nine things, not which are these nine things. That's singular. It's not a smorgasbord that you get to, today I'm going to be peaceful, tomorrow I'll be kind. No, it all comes together. The Holy Spirit is either working in your life or he's not. It's a, it's a single pull switch. It's either on or off. You're either in obedience to him and allowing him to work through you, or you're in disobedience to him and he's not. It's that simple. <clears throat> this isn't a heady thing. It's not the psychobabble that typifies much of the foolishness that's taught today regarding the Holy Spirit. This is just the facts. This is what God says. It's not, you know, whooping this up into a frenzy of emotions or anything like that. It's simply the facts. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. It's laid out in the Word of God. As we continue walking in the Spirit, the Lord raises us up as his servants and as his co-workers <clears throat> so that the gifts he has given find a place to function. We rejoice to serve with him. I don't have to understand everything about the Holy Spirit. I don't have to understand everything about the gifts. I don't have to understand everything about walking with him. There's a lot there to understand. I'm not dead sure I do understand it all. But I, I am sure that this is something where God put the snack food on a low shelf where the little kids can get it, as J. Vernon McGee used to like to say. He says, put the cookies on the low shelf where the children can get to them. Well, I don't know about cookies, but maybe some kind of snack food. <clears throat> but the fact is, God's made it available to every believer that we can walk with him, we can experience his presence, and we can obey him, and we can exercise the gifts that he's given us. 
I don't have to understand it all. If I'm willing to obey him and to trust him to lead me, then he will open doors before me and offer me tasks that I can do to honor and please him. And he's going to do them through me. That's how it works. The Holy Spirit does these works through you. When we know the general truths, such as the fact that he's called us to be his witnesses and that he's called us to leave our old way of life behind and to join him in the holiness that's him, We know the the general truth that he's called us to love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have loved one for another. We know these general truths. Then we can start doing what we know to do and allow him to teach us the things we don't know and allow him to move us and to lead us in a further walk with him. I want to close with one more rather small point. <clears throat> John chapter 14, verse 26 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will, will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now notice it says the Holy Spirit will teach us, but it goes on to say he'll bring us, bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever things I have said unto you. Now, Jesus primarily speaks through his written word. <clears throat> Peter can confirm this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, when he says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Until the Lord comes back, this right here is our primary source of light in the world. Okay? If that's the primary way that Jesus speaks to you, and if you're not in the Word, then you're not letting Him talk to you, and the Holy Spirit doesn't have a whole lot to work with to bring things back to your remembrance because you didn't hear it from Him. The only reason the Holy Spirit could bring that one little tidbit back so I could answer the guy and say Elijah never died is because I had read it. I'd read that amount. I was a new believer. I hadn't read very much. But I remembered that little piece. The Holy Spirit brought me that one little piece to answer him. Okay, He can't do that if you're not in the Word. If you don't know what he's saying, if you haven't been in it, then he can't bring it to your remembrance. But he says he will. He'll bring back to your remembrance everything that he has said to you. We need to feed on the word so we can be prepared to follow his leading. We're going to close in prayer, and then we're going to take communion together. Lord Jesus, we'd ask that you'd empower us by your Holy Spirit and raise us up to walk in your, in your footsteps. We know that's only power possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask that you'd fill us with your Spirit. Teach us to understand your will and to obey from the heart. In Jesus' name. <clears throat>